filibuster received sponsorship from the Ehrlich Law Office, Discrimination, Wage, and Litigation Solutions for Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia. They want you to know that your rights matter, you deserve to be free from harassment, and you deserve to work. They cover workplace discrimination and wage theft, non-competition and non-solicitation litigation, civil rights, takings and disability, and a lot more. For a free consultation, go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Guys, I am I am tired. Christmas is so much more tiring with two little kids running around. There are very joyous moments and it's wonderful and I wouldn't trade it for anything. But also there's a line in It's Beginning to Look a Lot Like Christmas that says, Mom and Dad can hardly wait for school to start again. And I feel that in my bones in a way I never knew was possible. Today, we uh, sent my daughter back to daycare. Uh, she was off all of last week. And today, my wife and I just got to like do whatever we wanted without my family around or my in-laws in town. And the kid was taken care of. And it's like, what is this magic? I burned too much leave uh, this year. And so, I'm, I, I was at work most of last week and most of this week. Um, so I, I did not get to experience that, which is also probably why I'm tired because I've been chasing kids around and then going to work and coming home and chasing kids around who have been home with a parent or grandparents um, and, and have so much energy. It's insane. We're recording this show quite late tonight because one of my children in particular had so much energy and would not go to sleep. Jason, what 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 are your thoughts on children? Oh, uh, they seem fine for the most part. Sometimes they get upset, uh, but it's not really their fault mostly because they don't know how to regulate themselves. That's it. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's, that's all right. That's they all haven't accurate. learned. They don't have time. It Jason, did you time. run around tormenting anyone at Christmas? No. I mean, joyously uh, tormenting them. No. Uh, I'm trying to remember what I even did. It wasn't much. There was a drive, a present exchange, a drive to a different place, a similar present exchange, and a drive home. Uh, it was calm. It was unremarkable. I got a cool knife. Nice. I got something I'll talk about in What Are You Drinking? Um, <laughs> and Santa brought a Lego table, a very nice Lego table for the kids. Came down the chimney fully assembled and everything. Oh, Which wow. is very, very nice of Santa not to leave it in a box for me to do on Christmas morning. Hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United and very, very tired from so much Christmas podcast. I'm Adam Taylor, joined as always by Ben Bromley, Jason Anderson. We're all from blackandredunited.com. We talk about DC United. That's what we're talking about tonight. Um, we we have a schedule to run down. We have some some transfer rumors to talk about finally this offseason. And uh, we have some national team call-ups uh, related to DC United. In the second segment, we'll have our friend Josie B on to talk about beer because drinking has always been an integral part of this particular podcast. And we're just going to turn into the slide with our good friend and uh, long-time frequent guests. Before we do anything, though, 
on that theme, Jason, what are you drinking? Uh, I am making, or I made, not am making, I'm not making it currently. Uh, I made a Paloma, uh, but I, I kind of twisted the recipe a little. So I've got a splash of Mezcal. I've got a splash of the Fresno chili infused tequila that I made back in the summer and filled out the rest of the tequila that would normally go in there with uh, some Olmeca Altos uh, Blanco. So it gave it a little bit of a, a smoky, spicy uh, note. So it's turned out pretty well. At first, I was a little concerned that it, neither of those things were coming through, but I just needed to let it uh, get mixed up a little. And now I'm starting to get it. So it turned out well. Nice. How about you, Ben? So uh, on our day without uh, a child today, uh, we went to the uh, uh, new Star Hill Richmond location, which is a beer hall and rooftop bar. And since it was in the 70s today, we went up to the roof. Uh, It's in Scott's Edition in Richmond, which for those who are in the know, that is the hip and trendy neighborhood of Richmond right now, where there are uh, approximately 700 breweries in a uh, two-square-mile radius. Uh, but the Star Hill outpost was really nice. They, their rooftop was was really good. There were some nice couches that we sat on. Uh, good, good beer because I like Star Hill beer. And so I am currently drinking uh, a beer that I picked up there on the way out. It is their Snow bo- Snow Blind Winter Doppelbach. Uh, I think I'm pretty sure I've had that on the Which show. Which is great before. when it's 70 degrees out. Right. Yeah, but <laughs> it'll be it's, better tomorrow. It's not supposed to be. We used to have weather. Now we have. Heat. <laughs> Our future, <laughs> whatever is the hell but this heat. is. So uh, it, it's a good winter doppelbach, and I recommend it. Uh, so uh, a while back, Jason had told me about uh, a lead on some reasonably priced Pikesville rye, which is a fantastic rye, and I strongly recommend it. Um, and I said, yes, if you find it, and there's an extra bottle because he's getting one for himself. If there's another bottle there, grab one for me, and I will, I will of course, pay you back for it. And um, so I get a text or a message from Jason uh, a few days before Christmas saying, hey, I found it for 51 bucks. And I said, yes, please do that. I will, I will buy that. Um, and so he did. And then uh, Christmas comes around. My in-laws come into town, and my father-in-law in particular likes to bring me some brown liquor whenever he comes because he's a very good father-in-law and uh lo and behold i open it up and he's like i got you a rye that i think you'll really like and he did it is pikesville rye and it is wonderful it is very delicious is very spicy and uh a little bit hot but very very nice to drink and that is what i'm drinking tonight um and pretty soon i'll have two bottles of it because jason did purchase that one for me and i'm working my way through this one rather quickly had some help from my in-laws and my wife in that process, but um, I guess it, it'll be nice to have a second bottle to go <laughs> go with the first then. So Pikesville Rye, good stuff. On to the soccer. I, I mean, I guess. Do you want to talk some more about uh, booze? I, I mean, talk I could, about my cool knife. I could talk about my five-year-old being very into Star Wars now. I, mean, I do just want to make original trilogy. I, I just I do want to make clear it's not just a knife; it's a cooking knife. I'm not one of, I'm not a knife guy like the people who just have knives. You call that a knife? 
everyone should go on YouTube and just Google knife guys um, and and watch the skits that come up. They're pretty good. There's only two of them. They're not that long. It's fun. You'll enjoy it. See, now now aren't you glad we didn't go straight to soccer? Yeah. Knife guys. Also knifey spoony. MLS released its 2020 schedule uh, since our last show. We already knew DC United would be opening the season February 29th, literally the earliest uh, any team has ever played a regular season season match in MLS history. And there'll be a few games that day, but DC United's first, so we get to claim it. Um, but now we know the rest of the, the season. Um, 34 games. As we know, 17 home, 17 on the road. Uh, it's going to be a tough run-in. That was one of the first things I noticed glancing through is you get to the end of the list and it's just at LAFC, at NYCFC, home against Atlanta. So um, I, for one, am hoping that a playoff spot is sewn up before mid-September because if it's not, it's going to be a real real stressful beginning of the fall. Yeah. Ben, what, uh, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say... Um, yeah, and uh, what was it last year? Uh, DC was supposed to have an easy end of season against FC Cincinnati, who did everything they could to make it easy, and DC said, no, thank you. Um, this year, uh, I guess this is part of the comeuppance. I thought we already paid our comeuppance for that one, but apparently not, because, yeah, that's uh, those three teams, I assume, are going to be pretty good. Atlanta, I don't know if they're actually going to be as good this year they're apparently just about any time now going to send uh leandro gonzalez Pires to uh uh Cholos, so that's not the smartest thing to have done um but yeah those are still really good teams so adam's right i think dc though I, I think it's august uh and into september there's a stretch there where it's like i don't know nine or ten i actually haven't even counted it. it's basically like a 10 or 11 eastern conference games in a row um they're going to have to do well. It, it extends back into July. Um, but yeah, that's where the season's going to be won or lost is that stretch where it's just all Eastern conference teams back to back to back to back. Um, yeah. If you do well, then you're a playoff team. Uh, if you do poorly, then you're probably not a playoff team. So we so don't have starting- to worry about uh, backing into the playoffs at least. Cause if we're playing bad at that point of the year, we're just not going to the playoffs. <laughs> yeah. yeah most likely. Starting on July 4th, it's Atlanta, Chicago, Montreal, Toronto, Columbus, Miami, Orlando, Philadelphia, New England, Montreal, Chicago. Yeah. And 11. that's July, August, and most of September. Yeah, 11, 11 straight against the East. So, And then it's broken up with a trip to LAFC. Yeah. Right. The the thing that you want uh, when you when you want it easy is you want to go play a team that is probably really upset that they didn't win it all last year. Um, and it's probably going to spend some money in so, some way that we've not even thought about. At least that uh, NYCFC game and near the end of the year won't be at uh, uh, Yankee Stadium. It'll be in a different baseball stadium. <laughs> yeah, it'll be in Queens, which is just great, just just wonderful. You got that. Um, one positive from this schedule is uh, an all weekend Atlantic Cup for the first time in recent memory 
at least. Uh, the I think DC United plays at the Red Bulls on a Saturday night, and the Red Bulls come to Audi Field for a Sunday afternoon tilt. So that's that's pretty nice. No Wednesday or random Thursday games for the Atlantic Cup. If you want to travel, you can travel. There could actually be traveling support, which is always a good thing in my book. It, it seemed like a major uh, point of uh, happiness for DC fans. Like when I wrote the article and posted it, uh, that was like the constant refrain was people were just really happy about that. And the number of Saturday games across the board. Yeah. Um, you know, last year, DC was on national TV a lot because of Wayne Rooney. Um, and so national TV told MLS, oh, you put Wayne Rooney's team on on Sunday because that's when we have our games. Um, but he's not here. And that has negatives. Uh, but it also does have the positive of just a bunch of, I think, that whole stretch that Ben mentioned before. Uh, only one of those games is not a Saturday game. Um, there's a long spell there where it's just, Saturday and then the next Saturday and then the next Saturday. So uh, an extremely rare treat, I guess, um, for for fans is just that there will be a very regular series of games on the best day to have games, which uh, we haven't had that in a while. It's going to be nice. Yeah. One thing I noticed, too, is that there's no more than two straight at home or on the road over the entire schedule. It's not perfectly alternating, of course, but we don't have any random five-game homestands with three of those games in a week, which getting your family out to the stadium or even yourself out to the stadium for three games in a week um, can be a lot. You have to move things around in your life to to make that work. If, if it's just a regular Saturday, 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 uh, it's a lot easier, uh, especially since a lot of those won't be, you know, two or three Saturdays in a row at home. They're they're mixed in and out, which is which is very nice. It's like the opposite of the the 2018 schedule. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's see. There is one big uh, three game week that involves games on both coasts, which I think somebody did the math, and I'm blanking on who it was on Twitter. Um, I retweeted them on my personal Twitter account um, because they did a whole great thread looking at the the travel that every team is going to have to do. Um, and DC United has one of the easier travel schedules, except for this one stretch, which is the hardest or at least the longest, most brutal three game travel stretch in the entire season of any team. <laughs> yeah, you've yeah, got little... is... Go ahead, Ben. Oh, it is uh, at Red Bull Arena on a Saturday, the last game of the uh, Atlantic Cup ending in May this year. Uh, then midweek on a Wednesday at uh, LA Galaxy for a 10.30 Eastern time MLS after dark game. And then back to Audi Field on Saturday to play the Vancouver Whitecaps. Uh, oh, yeah, to, give, to give credit, um, the tweet Adam was talking about, uh, I looked it up, is by at Offside Modeling. You've probably seen their... Um, attempts to determine whether something was actually offside or not. This is not one of those. This is about travel. <laughs> they did not draw a line down the Mississippi river and see how no. close people were to that. Although that would be no. kind of funny. <laughs> I would have enjoyed the bit right. if they had done that. Um, 
let's see. I lost what I was going to say. Uh, League's Cup is something DC United is going to have to worry about this year. That will add to some fixture congestion whenever that happens. There's going to be probably late July. Um, if memory serves, um, I believe this year's started then. Um, okay. There's going to be more teams in it this year, though. Yes, this one is expanded. Um, that's why DC is even in it, because yeah. by last year's standard, uh, DC would not have been in. Um, the standard is, of course, uh, complicated. It's it's the third through sixth place finishers in each conference for MLS. Um, whereas uh, Liga MX is putting like Monterey is in. So the, the champion, they just won the championship on uh, the weekend. They're in. The Klausura champion will be in, um, so that hasn't been determined yet. Um, the Copa Emekis winner will be in, so they're, they're going to have a better group of teams in this tournament um, than MLS is going to have, uh, which is not ideal, I don't think. It seems kind of unbalanced when, uh, you know, a head-to-head basis, you would expect the Mexican team to win most of those series to begin with. Um, but yeah, in 2019... It started July 23rd, but that was with one, I think, one fewer rounds to play. So um, sometime in the dead of the hottest part of the summer, uh, DC will have a random midweek game against, let's say, Morelia. And may have to do more after that. Or someone like Morelia. Yeah, and that's the other thing is um, last year there were a couple MLS teams that won their game despite sending out the like absolute like the guys that have the least minutes on their roster. I think the galaxy sent like the galaxy Two effectively played their game for them and they somehow won and advanced around. So um, who knows? It's going to be weird. Uh, but you know, I, this is MLS. You guys are used to a weird by now. Looking and- forward to Loudon United beating Zinyak's T grace. Right. <laughs> and the uh, Loudon United will get uh, some, uh, MLS experience before that too. Cause what is it? May is when DC United joins the open cup. Uh, I just had that up earlier today and I've completely forgotten it already. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think it is. It's, it's mid May is when DC joins the open cup because they mercifully split when MLS comes in so that you don't just have every MLS team playing another MLS team. Um, yeah, that round is set for May 19th and 20th. So that's when DC will start the Open Cup. And hopefully they advance. So that could they, it, they there is a possibility they could be in the Open Cup and the League Cup and League's uh, Cup. League's Cup, excuse me, and MLS Please show respect all at the same the time. Cup. Um, <laughs> yes, the grand history of the League's yeah, Cup. I, I will point out that the Open Cup will mostly uh, there's a weird thing with the schedule where there's a date in there where they might start the round of 16 in early June, or they might wait like two more weeks past that. And if they, if it's, there's no indication as to why they want to wait, but if they do opt to wait, that means that the round of 16 would be pushed back to late June. And then the quarterfinals would be pushed back to middle of July. And then the semifinal gets pushed back into August potentially. So, um, I expect U.S. soccer to pick whichever one is the least convenient for us specifically. Um, but yeah, also, it, it's a toss up. It might make things complicated with the League's Cup for, for D.C. And also uh, uh, late June and July is also uh, 
the League of Nations final, the CONCACAF League of Nations, and it's also uh, uh, Copa America, both of which DC United will have players at. Basically, this is going to be a good year to to have like the full every roster spot occupied. Um, so come depth is going to be important, right? Like we're not, we're, you know, we've had this question come up on an earlier episode where it was about like, should we panic or not that DC doesn't have any new players yet? Um, we're not there yet, but if we get to like, if the season gets underway and the transfer window closes and DC goes in with, I think this year it was like 25 guys, um, instead of the full 30, they're going to run into a problem. Uh, it's going to get ugly real quick because like Ben said, junior Moreno will probably be gone. Um, we're going to talk Tyler about Hello. some guys that may be gone, uh, with the U S um, Costa Rican players on the team with Mora and Segura, they could be gone. Um, yeah, this is not a year to go in with a small roster. This is a, a year to go in with a big one. So we'll see what they can do. Um, but the schedule, I guess, I, I guess the whole point of this is that this schedule is going to be more, it's going to be more clogged than it seems right now. Um, yeah, particularly if they happen to advance a couple rounds in the open cup, which that would be nice. Right. Um, rather than just, uh, I mean, they did get through this year, but it felt like they didn't in a weird way. I mean, if you think back 10, a little more than 10 years ago, 12, 14 years ago, DC United was competing in three competitions and trying to win all of them, um, over the, during the regular season, they were in champions cup 2008. They were in champions cup. Uh, Superliga and yeah. Copa Sudamericana and the Open Cup and, and the regular MLS. season. Um, and that was when rosters were like 10 dudes. <laughs> there was <laughs> they, no, they, there was no extra roster space. It was like, good luck. Uh, these guys are going to be run into the ground. Uh, and that's that. And and they really were. There was a time there was a long period of time. In fact, someone did some statistical look at this and the single strongest predictor of whether a of who would win in the playoffs was who played the fewest games that season. Regular season record went out head to head record went out salary DPs all went out the window. It was just who played fewer games. And that team was by far the more likely to win. Um, Hopefully those, those times are behind us now, but depth is important. And to that end, uh, Let's talk rumors. DC United been connected with uh, a few different names. The first one we heard about was uh, Brian Lozano, a Uruguayan attacker uh, currently with Santos Laguna, um, who reportedly was the subject of a $12 million offer from somebody in MLS, possibly LAFC, uh, that was rejected. So if he's coming, he will not come cheap. But... Pretty good player, Brian Lozano. Uh, yeah, he's won the Champions League with Club America. He's won Liga Emekis, uh with Santos Laguna. Um, he's got eight caps for Uruguay, and it is still, I wouldn't say he's absolutely in their squad right now, but he's not not in their squad either. He's sort of in that um, in-between zone, um, which is a really high standard. That's one of the better national teams out there, especially the, with their attack, they most of their attackers are based in Europe, and the ones that aren't are in in Mexico or among the most prominent teams in Brazil and Argentina and and such. So, um, yeah, uh, that price tag is no joke. Um, it's not an 
uh, bubble that is overinflated or anything. Um, yeah, uh, I don't know that that's how it's. I don't know that that's the, he's going to end up here uh, because I don't know that the team is willing to spend more than that if that's what it takes. But uh, he's a legit player. He's a great free kick taker. Um, it would be pretty. It would be pretty pretty remarkable. I will say though, he's more of a like a goal threat kind of guy rather than a creator. Um, not to say he can't create, but he's not the kind of guy that's going to get 10, 15 assists. And that remains something that DC is missing because they've got a bunch of guys that are going to, you know, maybe score as many as they get assists, like Emil Assad or Ariola tends to get a couple more goals and he gets assists. Ola Kamara is obviously a goal scorer. Someone has to be a guy that just predominantly gets assists to balance this whole thing out. Most likely. Um, now, you know, if Lozano ends up on the team and is just an overpowering good player, then it, it probably will work itself out one way or the other. But um, not necessarily the profile of player I thought they would be going after, I guess, is what I'm getting at. Yeah, it, it, I wonder if there's going to be some more. They're not they're not Greg Berhalter, who's married to a specific profile of player in right. each position, in each role, and nothing else will work. Um which is good. Flexibility is good, especially in MLS um, where, where that kind of rigidity doesn't really work very well. So I, I'm excited to see them going after. And I think the, the words we, that Steve Goff who tweeted this out were made United made a run at or are making a run at. So who knows how serious that run is and how high they're willing to go. But that's the level of talent that you want to see United connected with. And so far he's the only designated player caliber guy that, that we've heard this, yeah. summer, this winter. I will. I want to correct myself. Um, Lozano was in the most recent Uruguay squad. Um, and this was the full squad with Edinson Cavani and Luis Suarez and all those guys. And he was in there. So um, that's a, that's nice. Um, if, if you can bring a guy like that in, that's a big deal. But also, you know, that price tag into the eight figures is the kind of thing where you're like, that's going to be tough for DC to pull off. Not impossible. I mean, this is a team that signed Wayne Rooney, but um, probably he's probably, I guess the way I put it is he's probably not the only player in the millions of dollars range that is on their list. I would hope not because that's one that it might not work out. Santos might just be like, no, we would rather him play here. Yeah. And I feel like if this is a like statement, a a declaration of like, this is the the kind of player we're looking at. And obviously they're not saying this publicly. So uh, we're all in the stage of rumors, but hopefully they are going to, this isn't just the only player at of, at this level that we're, they're looking at. And then after that, it's people at the TAM level. Hopefully they take a run at two, three, four more other guys at that level and are hopefully able to land one because that's the kind of player that they need to come in to replace uh, Wayne Rooney on, especially like on the field, of course, as well, but uh, also off the field in the uh, marketing to give the team buzz uh, everything else that, Wayne Rooney did. Nobody could replace Wayne Rooney fully at that level, but they've got to make an effort and try to do something that could move the move the needle uh, off the field as well as on the field. I mean, when you see Sporting Kansas City and the Vancouver Whitecaps spending eight digits to acquire guys, that's that's the yeah. world you live in now, and you you almost have to play at that level. And so, hearing DC United at 
it just even connected with somebody at that level, it's like, okay, that's reassuring at the very least. Now they have to close the deal, whether it's Lozano or, or somebody else, they have to bring in a guy of that caliber and not in a, we missed out on Verone. We're going to bring in Gallardo scrambling kind of thing. I want to, I would like to know, I'd feel even more comfortable knowing that Dave Casper and, and the brain trust have a list of guys well in advance that they have scouted and done their due diligence on and they are talking with. Um, and obviously DC United's front office is famously tight lipped. They run a very uh, tight ship when it comes to leaks and word usually only gets out when they want it to. And it's the exception when we hear rumors before something real is, is very, very close. So we'll see what happens, but um it is interesting. The, the teams you mentioned um, and their big money spending, um, it goes back to last year as well with um, the Revs spending six or seven million dollars on Gustavo Bo. Um, these guys, all, all him and Kansas City and Vancouver, these are all players that were playing in Mexico, um, which is an interesting trend that um, MLS teams seem to be going after um, or going to Mexico to look for targets. Um, and spending uh, a fairly large amount of money um, to see Kansas City spending whatever it was they spent on Lucas Cavallini, you know, eight figures maybe. Um, that's wild. That's the team that has made their whole thing not spending that kind of money. Um, so it's an interesting thing. Some of those guys might have been at inflated prices. Um, MLS might have paid over the top to get them to come here. Um, and that may or may not be the case with. Lozano or with anyone else they happen to go after um, from Mexico. But it is interesting that that avenue has started to open up a little. It used to be that MLS teams could not pay the amount of money it would take to make those moves happen. And now all of a sudden we have a a burst of those kind of moves happening. So it's interesting to see. It it makes me wonder if, um, if it's not Lozano, then maybe it's somebody else. Um, so if you've got a favorite team in Liga MX, maybe look at their roster and figure out uh, who you want to come here because um, th- th- you might be you might be able to pick the right guy. Um, don't look at Atlas because they're probably not going to send Lutro back to DC. That's probably not <laughs> going to happen. Um, I hate to break some hearts, but uh, other than that, maybe look around at some of the other teams. Probably won't be Zinyak either. Probably not. he's also thirty four at this point. So yeah. The the but, day where that would have been the move is probably like a year too late, but um, kind of a shame. Yeah, he is very good. <laughs> um, a couple of not DP guys that DC United has been connected with, and this was refer- first uh, relayed in English by our own Ryan Kiefer at blackandredunited.com. Uh, central attacking midfielder uh, Christian Aleman, Ecuadorian player who currently plays for Barcelona, but not that Barcelona, Ecuadorian squad, uh, Barcelona SC. Um, good highlight reel that, that Ryan dug up. Uh, guy. Usually the highlight reel is pretty decent. Like no one yeah. posts the one where they're just like, oh, that's it. All right. I, I mean, uh, some of them you've seen, seen some of them, some of those, some of you seen where it's like they there's like the same, there's like six goals and it's just 30 minutes of those six goals. This one was, the was a little better and showed some, it showed him finishing chances and setting them up, which is, which is good. 
Yeah. Um, I do. Enjoy I, I, the, I don't uh, know a lot about the guy other than that. The other name United has been connected with is uh forward, uh, Gelman Rivas, Venezuelan player currently unattached, yep. which, which is nice. Um, you don't have to worry about, uh, accounting tricks to deal with any transfer fee there or, or a loan. I think with, with Aliman, the rumor was that it would be a loan with an option to purchase because that way you don't have to worry about DP transfer fees or TAM transfer fees. Um, you, you just put them on your roster and it would, you don't have to worry about that at all. If it's a free agent in the case of Rivas. So presumably United has discovery claims in for whomever they need, or they can get those worked out. Um, but those are the two names we've heard. Definitely there's been contact and, and talks and potentially offers made. Um, Steve Goff also reported that there's a total of, I think he said five or six guys that DC United have as their top targets for this off season, which is a, a good healthy number. As we said earlier, depth is going to be really important this year. Having a full squad is going to be really important. And in years past, we've talked about the need for starting quality depth across the board and DC United hasn't always had that, including last year, there was definitely some drop off uh, at a couple of positions when, when people were out. So more depth, better depth. I'm for it. Yeah. yeah I feel no, go ahead, Ben. I feel like this is the minimum viable uh, uh, set of rumors. This is like, if they sign both of these guys, this is like the minimum viable thing that they need to do. They need another uh, attacking midfielder, a wide attacking midfielder, and they need uh, a central midfielder. They probably need, they might need two. Uh, So these moves, uh, if they happen, would be, could be good, could be solid, but they're like, the minimum necessary to keep this team moving forward into next season. It's not like these are uh, above and beyond and game changing, like the, like Lozano might have been, or or a signing at that level. This is the cost of doing business to get DC United into the next season. Yeah, and, and you know, I saw some. It's kind of the typical thing where if if your team is attached to a player that maybe you've never heard of, the reaction is generally like, "Oh, this isn't going to do it." Um, there was an assumption about the Aleman rumor that was basically like, well, this is the, this is the playmaker. And I would not necessarily jump to that conclusion yet. Um, we don't know that, um, if DC is looking at a Brian Lozano level player, then, you know, if that one, if that move doesn't work out, that necessarily means they might spend that money on a playmaker. Um, so Aleman might just be another guy in the mix, which we've talked about a couple of times on the show. Um, they can't just go into the season, especially now that Lucas Rodriguez uh, is not coming back. They can't go into the mix with Ariola, playmaker, new playmaker, uh, Yamil Assad, uh, Ulysses Segura, and Griffin Yao and be like, well, that, that'll do it, right? Um, they need right. somebody who's pushing or better than Assad. Um, they, need, they need that one more guy, um, at the very least. Um, you want someone that's a starting caliber player who isn't actually starting um, so that when you go to your bench, you can actually stay at the level you were at before. Hopefully it's a player who's got a little different, uh, something different to his game that can change the way DC is playing when they make the sub. And that's not just, well, this guy's like the other guys. He's just hasn't been running for 60 minutes. Um, Well, and also it's in training too, right? Like pushing guys, making sure that they're earning their starting spots. When, you're comfortable. You're not 
I mean, there, there's a degree to it. Being comfortable sure. in your living situation and with the coaching staff and having a degree of trust is vital. But knowing that you are an in-ink starter is is yeah. bad yeah. for yeah. your performance. Showing up, showing up the training, knowing that you just have to like physically stay on your feet and not end up like being hauled off by the police at the end of training uh, to keep your starting spot. That's bad. You need to go to training and outplay the other guys on the team. That's the whole has to be a healthy competition, but you need that. Um, I will also note, uh, since we're talking about three different players from abroad, that DC at the moment uh, would start the season with only six international spots. Um, Now, Junior Moreno has, I think, told Venezuelan media that he had an appointment having to do with uh, getting his green card. So that's probably getting close, Um, but we don't know. You know, that could mean six months. That could mean February. We don't know. Um, so that's another issue that they might have to tackle because if they want to sign Lozano or an equivalent player, if they want to sign Aleman, if they want to sign Rivas, then all of a sudden they're going to have to make a different move. And those moves have made themselves um, most likely to be with Portland. Um, yep. The, the tradition uh, that last year when I talked to Dave Casper about the whole summer transfer window, I straight up asked him, I was like, why is it always Portland? And he said, generally, it's just that when DC needs an international spot, Portland happens to have one. And when Portland happens to need one, DC happens to have one. It's just a weird quirk of timing. Um, uh-huh. And, uh, you know, apparently a, a fairly easy working relationship with Gavin Wilkinson that um, doesn't necessarily, I mean, it depends on where you are. You know, Mike Burns, when he was with New England, was famously difficult to make deals with. Um, so everyone just stopped trying. Um, so they stopped having trades. Whereas Gavin and Dave can just text each other, you up, and there'll yeah. be a trade done by morning. Hey, buddy, uh, I need an international spot. And like, uh, we'll work it out. And then, you know, 10 minutes later, it's sorted. Um, but yeah, we might see one of those um, coming up because uh, you can't just add a bunch of internationals in the current state of the roster without adding to that list because uh, Ola Kamara had to restart his uh, green hard process from scratch. Um, Yamil Assad was on loan. So we have to assume his is pretty close to uh, that, that same state as Kamara. Um, the only other person other than Moreno that might be far along is Segura. Um, but we don't know how far along he is either. So um It'll get busy. It's going to be busy and it's, it's going to be one of those where it probably comes all at once. Yep. And this isn't for today's podcast, but uh, there's a new CBA coming. So we don't know if they're going to add four international spots per team or whatever. Right. Probably not, but who knows? Or if the whole season won't be put off by weeks uh, on end. We have no idea. Um, Which it feels far away, but that the CBA ends, uh, I think, January 23rd, I want to say something like that. I knew it was late or the end of January. Yeah, it's somewhere in the very late, like the last week of January, give or take. Um, It might be the 31st and not the 23rd, but um, either way, it's looming. We're getting very close. (laughs) It's very close. Um, I will say with um, to add add one more note with the Rivas uh, rumor, um, it's good that they're pursuing a backup to the main striker who is known for scoring some goals. Um, Rivas' strike rate, the leagues he's played in are sort of hit or miss, but his strike rate has been really good. Um, It's at that, that, um, that good old one goal every two games kind of ratio that you want to see. 
So that's that's a plus. And the fact that he'd be coming in as a free agent uh, theoretically uh, would be a plus. But again, we're still at the early rumor stage with that. So who knows? You know, by the time this goes out, we might hear probably not going to hear because it'll be like New Year's Eve. I doubt that they're going to just go ahead and and, uh, drop a bunch of stuff on us. But that's usually it's when you drop your guard with DC United that that's when the rumors really start to slam you. So um, maybe I'll just say, maybe I'll take that all back. Uh, They're definitely going to have rumors (laughs) on New Year's Eve at like 1030 PM. That's when they all happen. You'll be at the party, whatever party you're going to and have to like, just type on your phone. It's going to be great, Jason. I, I mean, at that point in time, uh, I probably won't necessarily be in a state where it's like, yeah, guys, I can't write this up. Uh, I've been drinking. <laughs> I cannot do it. Uh, let's switch gears here for the last couple minutes of this uh, this segment to talk about the men's national team. Not something we've chosen to talk about a lot in recent years on this I podcast. wonder why. Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> anyone who's paid attention to the men's national team probably agrees with us in that decision. Uh, we have good news, however. Uh, two DC United players called into the January camp, which will be in Qatar for three weeks uh, in January. Uh, Paul Ariola, as expected, called up, and Bill Hamid, for the first time in the tenure of manager Greg Berhalter, will be joining the squad uh, at in any camp as well. So, yay, Bill Hamid! Uh, thank you for coming to your senses, Greg. Um, Yay, Paul Ariola too. And yay, Brian Keo, uh, who who declined DC United's contract offers. He was a homegrown academy player, but decided to uh, spurn DC United's offers so that he could go abroad. Rumor is he's going to sign with Wolfsburg as soon as he turns 18. He's currently 17, um, playing with Orange County out in California uh, when their season is on. But uh, three players with some connection to, to DC United in the camp, but mostly Bill Hamid. Yeah, it's great to see him in there. Uh, it, it, the, the news also came out that uh, Brad Guzan was not released. Uh, no so, Atlanta players were released. Right. But for this conversation, Brad Guzan is the one who matters. Uh, so that, may have been a part of it. Uh, it. It seems so stubborn headed that Bill Mead has gotten no calls and this is the right place for him at, at this point, just because he hasn't gotten calls in uh, recently and hopefully he can prove himself uh, in this camp and maybe he can make himself a part of uh, the national team picture going forward because we've all seen what he's done in MLS. We all know that he is a more consistent MLS goalkeeper than Brad Guzan is. So hopefully that that can be uh, translated to the national team level. Yeah. He's been better than the other options uh, for a while. Um, it's not, it, it, it's aggravating precisely because it's one of these things like, well, why wouldn't you just pick the guy that's better than the other guys you're allowed? You're the guy that would pick, um, they're supposed to pick the national team is supposed to be a selection of the best of American soccer's uh, men's players. That's how it works. Um, and there is, there, there's an argument that was passed around that was like, Oh, well, Hamid's passing isn't uh, as good as Zach Steffens. Um, and so therefore uh, it's a style, it's a stylistic mismatch. Um, but when Hamid has had to play out of the back, his passing has been 
comparable or better than most of the other guys that are getting called in anyway. Um, the fact that DC plays long more often than NYCFC uh, doesn't mean that Bill Hamid's a worse passer. It means he has fewer opportunities to pass and make the or make the kind of pass that we're talking about here. Um, it doesn't mean he's worse. It means that they play a different style. Um, and you can try and j- adjust. And there are there there have been uh, some solid data points pointing to him being comparable at least to Sean Johnson, for example, um, in that department. So, but not even um, taking a look at him has been inexplicable. Yeah, you know that's the whole thing that's been maddening about it is that um, there's an idea of Bill Hamid that Greg Berhalter appears to have that is not the reality. And he should be in a position where he's like, okay, let me make sure that I know the the exact reality of the situation. And I'm not just, you know, oh, he's not, he doesn't play our way. So that's that. Um, and it doesn't seem like there's been a lot of interest um, in, there was a, there was an instance where he and Josh Wolf were at Audi Field um, early this year for a home game. Um, but, you know, what, what were they there to look at Hamid or Ariola or Canals? Who knows? Um, it's hard. It's hard to say because they did not speak to the media. Um, but what we can say with pretty solid certainty is that like the other goalkeepers in MLS who are eligible to play for the national team are and have been worse than Hamid. Uh, you should call in the best goalkeeper for you. Um, sometimes it's just that simple. Like you should just, especially at a position that is less linked to a certain style of play than the other players. Um, then it becomes even more about like, well, let's just pick the best guy. Um, and this, he's the best guy. This is not, it has, it's just, it's bizarre to me that it's so complicated uh, when it isn't complicated at all. It's like, just pick the guy that's better than the other guys. I don't have a way of putting that better. So we're going to call that a segment and we will be right back with our friend Josie from common space brewery to talk about beer. Stick around. It's filibuster. Say you're at work and uh, something unfortunate or untoward happens and you need some legal representation to uh, to assert your rights in that situation, whether a boss mistreated you, you were fired unfairly uh, or, or, or something worse happens. Ben, in the District of Columbia and Northern Virginia, you know who to call, right? Yeah, you call the Ehrlich Law Office because you have rights. That's right. And your rights matter. And you deserve to be free from harassment. And you deserve to work. The Ehrlich Law Office handles workplace discrimination. They do civil rights. Uh, If you have a wage theft issue, they are there for you. If you have a separation from your employer that you want to to get down on paper, and you're dealing with a a non-compete clause or or something to to that effect if you uh if you feel like your civil rights have been violated by a local government call the ehrlich law office uh if you want a free consultation tell them we sent you go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster welcome back to filibuster the black and red united podcast uh we're taken a little step back from soccer uh for this segment not unlike our our guest um instead we're going to talk about the other aspect that that kind of defines this show and no ben and jason it's not goats it is not goats. it is 
You're the really one that not. keeps bringing it up. All right, you got me this time. <laughs> anyway, uh, our good friend Josie Becker is the assistant brewer at Common Space Brewery down in LA. And uh, she used to write about the LA Galaxy for SB Nation, and she supports LAFC now. And she, as far as I know, anyway, last I checked, we'll, we'll check in with her on that. And uh, she joins us now from out there in, in California. Josie, welcome back to the show. Hi, everyone. I'm excited to be here. You know, I love you guys. We're excited to have you back. Uh, you know the drill here. What are you drinking? Uh, I am drinking an amalgamator by Beachwood Brewing. Um, it is not one that I made. Uh, I went out and I'm out of my beer. Uh, this is something my roommate made. Uh, he is also a brewer. We are a brewing family. Uh, but <laughs> cool. yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's a delicious IPA. I, I really hope you have like on the wall of one of the rooms in your house, like in this house, we brew effing beer or something. Uh, I mean, not quite, but we have three mini fridges and literally they're all full of beer. Like we have too much beer, um, which seems like an impossible thing. Uh, but yeah, like we need people to come help drink our beer because there's just too much of it. I have a friend who works for the State Department or worked for the State Department and was in Capellan. Sounds much less fun. She was in Capellan outside of Antwerp in Belgium for a couple of years on a posting. And the, she got put up in a big house all by herself. And there was a, a fridge in the garage that she just filled with Belgian beer. And then when she moved back, she brought a fridge worth of Belgian beer <laughs> with her. And it was incredible. It was so much fun to help her burn through that. Oh yeah, no, that's a it's a good friend to have around. That belt and stuff is delicious. All right, so what do we want to talk about today? Well, I want to know how you ended up brewing beer for a living because it wasn't something you were doing last time you were on the show. That's very true. Um, uh, okay, so as uh maybe some people who listen to this podcast know um, there's not a whole lot of uh, money uh, set aside for soccer coverage in the United States. Uh, and so what most of us who aren't Grant Wall, who's an amazing person and God love him. Uh, what most of us have to do is scrimp and basically do it on our own dime uh, to help get the word out about these clubs that we love. And yeah, I definitely did that for a number of years uh, with the galaxy. Um, you know, I managed to make it into a decent enough career for myself, but you know, eventually a girl reaches an age where she just wants crazy things like healthcare and uh, a 401k, stupid stuff like that. Um, gainful employment. Uh, so, you know, like freelancing was fun. I, I don't regret my time freelancing. Um, but you know, it, the time came where I was like, all right, I gotta like make some adult decisions. Um, and it just so happened that, uh, the, uh, website I'm not naming because, uh, while I am mad at it, uh, you know, it certainly did help me get my start. Um, 
but through that website, I had a friend uh, who uh, was quitting his job to open a brewery. And he had seen pictures that I posted online of me homebrewing and was like, hey, would you be interested in being a part of this? And I was like, absolutely, that sounds amazing. Um, So he literally hired me to just like strap down tanks and we like built the outdoor uh, beer garden and uh, yeah, I did all kinds of crazy construction projects. And then once we were open, like I just started working in production and didn't have any commercial experience. So I had to learn a lot of things on the job. Um, But, you know, in the early days, I definitely leaned on my soccer contacts and had, uh, I mean, still had some relationships with the galaxy and, uh, you know, tried to get them in for viewing parties and stuff in our tap room. Um, and like gave away tickets to galaxy games, which was fun. Um, had some like world cup viewing parties that we opened during the men's world cup year. Um, and yeah. I don't recall a world cup happening in, uh, um, well, you see, uh, in Los Angeles, the uh, Mexican national team in, <laughs> in the U.S. is also featured somewhere. Um, so, like, opening up for the Mexican national team fans at 8 a.m. And, like, yeah, just seeing that amazing crowd was a lot of fun. That'd um, be cool. No, I, I just, my, my heart was definitely broken um, that year as well. Um, anyway, um somewhere along the line there, uh, you did mention that I support LAFC now, uh, somewhere along the line there, uh, LAFC got open and I walked into that stadium and I was just like, Oh, this doesn't have baggage. Like I can start. (laughs) I don't have to carry around. Like, I don't know. Access made it hard to be a fan of the galaxy, right? Like I'd go to yeah. games and just try and yep. be a fan and I'm like, I'm not, I'm not working right now. I, I don't know what to do. Do I just, do I just sit here? Do I cheer? Am I allowed to cheer? Like, I don't know. Um, and LAFC was kind of a fresh start. It was just like, Oh, I can turn my brain off and just be a fan of this team. And I am you know, I'm not coming at this with any preconceptions. And even then it was still like, but you can't turn your back on the galaxy. This is your childhood team. Like literally Kobe Jones's poster was on my wall as a child. Um, and they slime, they signs lots on who is, mm. a, am I allowed to curse on the podcast? Yes. Yes. Lothan is a piece of shit. Who <laughs> <laughs> like just only out for himself and that they were suckered in to signing this asshole to sell a few jerseys and fixing nothing about the giant holes that were still in the team. Like they were still that shitty team from the year before, but now they were the shitty team with this aging asshole who only cares about himself that will occasionally score goals. And so they got some fun results as a result, but like, he didn't improve the team outside of being a goal scorer, but like there were times when he wasn't scoring goals where like the next person on the goal chart was some random defender. Like anyway, it just, (laughs) the whole access corrupts thing. Like 
I'm sorry. I <laughs> don't find empty stomach. I'm just going to go like and spill all the tea. But like, <laughs> I remember when they signed Jonah Dos Santos um, and like we're in the press conference for that. And I could hear, cause I was like right next to him. I could hear PR planning a question about, well, what does this mean about Zlatan? And I was like, oh my God, even when you sign someone who's actually going to contribute to your team for the next two years, all you care about is this washed up Eurostar that has some connection to bigger clubs that you're like so desperate for. And I was just thinking about that and changing your entire color scheme because David Beckham played for Real Madrid and you want to like try and tie into that somehow. Like your colors were green and gold. We all know it. We all remember. Anyway, um, it just, it got to be too much and I just wanted a fresh start. So I went with LAFC and I started making beer and uh, life's been pretty good since then. Anyway. Those seem like healthy decisions. (laughs) Uh, I, I'm definitely uh, one of my favorite sports writers is Will Leach. Um, the guy who founded Deadspin yeah. and he has stories from his time as a, a press row journalist covering, uh, baseball or covering, uh, university of Illinois basketball. And just, he could feel his joy leaving him mm-hmm. as he was covering games from that perspective. So he's like, I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm going to write from the outside. And I, I had not as deep an experience of that, but a similar experience. And not everyone has that experience. Some people are able to to keep enjoying it while being in the locker room. Um, but I I needed to to take that step back as well. Um, so I, I feel you. Yeah, it's. I mean, as much as I I loved writing and I loved you know getting to do these interviews and like this is what I went to school for like I wanted to be a journalist um and it seemed like a uh, a good marriage just put those two things together but you know it's uh, like a friend told to me told, uh, like a friend told me uh early on when I expressed the fact that you know I love cooking uh, maybe I should like go and be a chef and he was like if you enjoy cooking do not become a chef like that is the worst thing that you can do um, because everything becomes a job eventually. And, you know, you, you, uh, if you really enjoy something as a hobby, like that whole idea that like, well, if you enjoy your job, then you never go to work. It's not true, right? It's, no. there are compromises in that. And you're compromising something that does bring you joy outside of the slog that is working for a living at the very least inside the United States, like I, yeah. maybe other countries have figured out how to do that. Um, but what we certainly have not. Yeah. Damn government. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Josie, I have, I have, I have once or twice, maybe three times tried to brew beer myself and I'm very bad at it because mm-hmm. chemistry and I do not get along. Mm-hmm. Uh, Speaking about like uh, uh, cooking and being a chef, I, I much enjoy the uh, home cooking part where you can just experiment and do whatever you want and not have to worry about measure measuring things. Ben is Salt Bay. Uh, sure. Just yes. For anyone looking for a visual image of Ben, he is Salt Bay. So uh, exactly, uh, you all can't see it, but uh, <laughs> Josie just did a very good impression of Salt Bay. Uh, so what is? Uh, 
what is your favorite part of of the brewing process and what what really connects you to it? Sure. Um, yeah, I homebrewed before I started, as I mentioned in my story. And I quickly realized that homebrewing does nothing to prepare you for commercial brewing. <laughs> <laughs> Much in the same way, uh, I mean, yeah, just in that same way that like you can write a blog, but then actually going and like being on a beat, it's a very different thing. Um, you know, it's doing it day in, day out. You like, I can't drink homebrew anymore because all I, all I taste are the flaws and they right. aren't the fault of homebrewing. It's the fault of like, you don't have the ability to transfer beer in a like oxygen deprived space, whereas I do. And I can tell the difference between beer that's gone through that and beer that hasn't. Um, so I don't like at work, uh, I am in charge of the cold side of beer. So beer that's being stored in fermenters. I'm doing dry hops that I'm transferring. Um, and I get to run the centrifuge. Uh, and like right now, if you're into craft beer at all, like you are aware of hazy IPAs. Um, I think they're mm-hmm. in a population. Uh, I think, uh, <laughs> Anyone who enjoys like pop flavor, um, there's so much more to get out of it when you're drinking a clear beer than when you are uh, slogging through something that is thick and chunky and hazy. Um, and you can get a lot of that like transformation of hops, uh, and they, they have like these juicy IPAs and supposed like hazy IPAs. Um, you can get that transformation of hops in beers that are still clear. Um, like the, the uh, haziness is not a requirement uh, in order to uh, drink beers that have uh, more citrusy stuff happening than say like bitterness. Um, so my favorite thing to do is running beer through the centrifuge. Cause it's just like, it's that like instant cleanliness feel of like, you know, like sitting and really cleaning your room and just being like, Oh, I made a difference. I can f- see the difference. I am so much more relaxed now. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. I, uh, I, that was what I did today. I ran an IPA through the centrifuge and like seeing like cloudy, cruddy beer come out super crystal clear. Like that's like, Oh, ah, yes. That is, that is a beer that I want to drink later. Um, yeah. So the, the brewing process itself, you know, it's, there's just so much of it. Like, you know, you, you go on a brew day and that's a whole day. And then you're caring for this beer for three to six weeks and seeing it go through all these changes. You know, you get, you get attached. You get attached to these beers. They're like your little babies. And, uh, and then you eat them. And then you eat them, and they're delicious, <laughs> and they make you drunk, which is the best. <laughs> I, I feel like I should should note that, like, we went on a stretch where it felt like almost every guest that we had on for like a month was drinking a hazy IPA. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it just I, like I it, may have had a few myself. Rich, well, Richmond, well, it, Richmond is very into hazy IPAs, right? Because uh, I think the pattern went like. A guest came on and was like, I am drinking a hazy IPA. And then Adam was like, the next week was like, I now I'm drinking a hazy IPA. And then also our guest was, and then we just, it kept happening. It's like a, 
all they of a sudden a thing in they arrived uh, very suddenly. Um, well, uh, I'll just be very clear. Like the beer I'm drinking right now is a clarified IPA, a West Coast style IPA, and it is just like while having an amazing amount of hop character, also just easy drinking and doesn't doesn't sit and like demand my attention at all times, which I don't know is my favorite thing about beer. Like I enjoy <laughs> drinking Pilsners and Hellas more than I do IPAs as much as I do love a good West coast IPA. Like, you know, beer should be uh, a, a friend who comes at the end of the day and says, you know what? Life was hard, but I'm not going to ask that much of you. We can just sit here in silence. You got something to say? You can talk about it. Like, that's <laughs> beer. Beer's not up there like, hey, 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 any attention. That's not what beer should be. Beer should be chill and just calm and a nice friend. Exactly. Can I get that framed? <laughs> I need someone to type that up and frame it for me. I need someone to cross-stitch that. Yeah, Exactly. <laughs> Uh, and if you can do two, because that needs to go in into common space brewery, even if it's just backstage behind the scenes outside of the tour area, the tour area, um, I feel like they should have a copy too. Uh, I'll, I'll work on that. <laughs> I'm not saying you, I'm saying listeners, if any of our <laughs> listeners cross stitch and they want to cross stitch that quote, uh, yeah. please do two of those. Yeah, that would be awesome. <laughs> uh, Josie, I've been I've been to brewery tours, but I realize that you're not getting you're getting a tour, so you're not getting the real working perspective of what's going on at the brewery. You're just getting like this is where the beer goes, and maybe I went on one, or I think I've been on a couple where they let you taste some of the barley and they show you the hops and they're like, don't eat the hops; it won't be very <laughs> good for you to do. Um, and then if you get very lucky, the brewery tour might be run by a lunatic who leads you on an adventure in the Bahamas. Most uh-huh. of the time, that's not what happens. Um, so what I'm curious about is what, it, what is the actual day to day look like there? You mentioned uh, an actual brew day versus uh, days where it's more maintaining and making sure the beer actually comes out ready for ready for consumption correctly. Um, so what is, what is a day like at the brewery? Uh, I mean, obviously there are different ones, but um what, what did you do today? Let's start with that. Okay. Um, yeah. Like if you're in a brewery that is functioning at capacity, everything is happening all the time, always. Okay. Um, which is from a production side, amazing to watch. Um, it's not so good for tours. Like uh, that's something you can like kind of see from a bird's eye. Like, Oh wow. People are doing things, but it is completely unsafe for me to be in there. Um, like today we, we were brewing, so we have a 30 barrel system, uh, which for people that don't know beer, that's like 60 standard size kegs, uh, worth of beer. Um, and so that is an entire day. Um, and that is one brewer up on the brew deck all day, running this system, throwing in the hops, uh, adding, you know, putting in the barley at the right point. Um, taking care of all of that. While he was doing that, I was working on a transfer. Um, so I'm taking beer out of fermenters where it's been hanging out for a few weeks, running it through this interfuge into what are called bright tanks. Uh, bright tanks are where beer that uh, has been clarified or will be clarified uh, hangs out. Um, there, If you ever go to a brewery, the, you'll see tanks that have a cone at the bottom and tanks that are flat. 
the common or fermenters, the flat ones, or bright tanks. Um, so I was running that while our head brewer uh, was running around supporting the both of us um, so that like I could do crazy things like take a lunch and uh, our brewer could do crazy things like walk his dog. Um, and while that's all happening, the three of us are, you know, running this, um, warehouse full of beer. Um, you know, our tap room opens at like three o'clock. And so we have a bartender serving the beer that we've packaged. We have people in the back of house who are planning future events. You know, like we have a pretty big space. So holding private events is a big deal. We've got people in the back of house who are running all the deliveries because we have over a hundred outside of accounts and we're self-distributing. So like we have to plan out our route and where the band's going to go. And uh, we have people in back of house who are running the entire company. Like it is a small business on a very huge scale. It's a small Mm -hmm. business trying to compete with regional businesses and macro businesses at the same time mm-hmm. um, and you know finding ways of making beer that you like finding beers that will sell in the market finding markets for that beer um yeah it's a very complicated process um and i i love it every day like right now i am covered in hop sludge um <laughs> most of it has uh, dried and gone away uh, but I, while I was uh, running this beer since centrifuge, there's a point where I can kind of get it on autopilot, and then I'm uh, cleaning tanks that are full of uh, hops and beer sludge, and sometimes they can explode on you—not actually explode, um, but just like some of the sludge <laughs> fly mm-hmm. out everywhere. Anyway, I'm talking a lot, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah. I don't know. It's it's a crazy fun time, and most of that is way too dangerous for people in flip flops to walk through. How many employees do you all have? You were all just talking about a lot of different people. How many people does it take to make this make this run? We have three people running production. We have uh, circa six to ten bartenders. I'm not entirely sure. Uh, they're uh, kind of on their own. Uh, you know, they they run on different hours than I do. Um, for the production day, it runs from like seven to five ish every day. Um, and I kind of didn't ask. I mean, you asked like what I did today, but like at a brewery that's running efficiently, like you're brewing every day, you're transferring beer every day, so that you can have tanks to brew into. You're packaging every day, so that you can transfer into the bright tanks. Like everything's happening all the time. Um, so, and then we have like five back of house staff, like someone to run our social media and plan events, someone to assist that person, someone to do all of the invoicing to outside accounts and running our books. Um, so it's, it is, you know, probably about 12 people. Um, it's okay. a, and like that's a skeleton crew. Like, yeah, it, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, you know, if, you, if you're talking about a Firestone Walker or, uh, you know, uh, a stone brewing, um, which you're still trying to do, you know, independence on a larger scale, um, you know, fat tire up until recently, uh, you know, now you're talking about hundreds of employees um, trying to compete with a Budweiser that has, you know, a yeah. thousand employees across the country. 
Yeah, Stone just Stone uh, a couple of years ago just opened their East Coast brewer, brewery here in Richmond, and it's going pretty well for them. It's a it's a fun place for us to go out to. Right, which yeah, you know, and that's just like logistics. I mean, if you're a yeah. small brewery in San Diego, how are you going to get beer to New York at a rate that still can be affordable? When you're competing with, you know, already established local regional breweries and, you know, obviously the AB and Bev stuff, like it's, it is a challenge. Um, mm-hmm. but it, at least from my perspective so far, like it's a challenge worth doing. You mentioned Fat Tire. Um, mm-hmm. I'm curious what your, your perspective of that, that was New Belgium, right? Right. New Belgium made Fat Tire. Yeah, and and they were bought by Kieran Group in uh-huh. in Japan, uh, Boston Brewing, who makes Sam Adams, merged with Dogfish Head. They're kind of the brands are staying separate, but they are consolidating some back of the house functions. Um, I'm, I'm curious what the view from the the smaller startup uh, brewery scene uh, is about those kinds of transactions. Sure, um, and you know as everything that I've said so far, these are my opinions and not the opinions of my employer, but uh, I feel like uh, everyone's got a boss, right? Like er the money has to come from somewhere. Like, even though we are independent, like we still have a board, we have investors um, and they are, they, while not like shareholders who are just like, give me money. Like they also, they want to get their money back. That's why they invest in the first place. Um, so while I do not personally support, you know, a golden road or, uh, a, a goose Island who's, you know, mm-hmm. that big paycheck from, from AB and Bev, um, uh, you know, those companies are also still trying to just make good beer um you know like what we just saw with ballast point where like they got sold back to some random small mm-hmm. brewery out of constellation brands who does corona um, i can't imagine how much constellation lost on that constellation paid a billion dollars for that i like, know <laughs> builds all these, i know their virginia one uh closed but builds all these uh brew pubs and then goes oh this is a terrible idea and sells it for the, the figure i've seen is 70 million dollars like that's oh my so- god so lost 930 million it's insane what the loss Plus was. construction costs and everything my god yeah. like the, there's this notion i think amongst macro beer of well like if we use these names we can sneak in people won't know and people don't know a lot of people have no idea that goose island is owned by budweiser um but at the same time like it's not like you're going to grow these small businesses into being something amazing but as a small business on a you know local scale with like a motto that's you know local beer tastes better um like there's a niche you can carve for yourself. Um, and it's, you know, it's capitalism to always want to grow and be bigger than your little slice of pie. But I don't know. There's also a lot of uh, good and just uh, accepting what you have and trying to do the best in your, your local little market. So 
I don't know. Like all small businesses, there's pros and cons to trying to grow and trying to stay small. Um, but I, I got lost in my train of thought. I'm not sure what the question was anymore. <laughs> um, well, Josie, I, I'll, I'll bring it to something you know well because it already exists. Um, there's a beer that Common Space makes that is your beer. Its name It has your name in it. Wow, um, your research. Uh, how did you how did you choose uh, to to be responsible for this beer? Why why did you go the way you did? Um, what what went into the whole thing? We kind of have an idea of you know you've already given kind of a manifesto on what you want out of a beer. Mm-hmm. Um, so how did it, how did this come about? Sure. Um, so in our early days, like we, we have both that 30 barrel system, but we also have like a test system that's only four barrels. Mm -hmm. Um, and we try to do like fun new recipes on that smaller system and have them be like taproom exclusives. Um, and it's a way for us to try different techniques and, you know, do styles that may not be super marketable, but that, you know, we're interested in trying and seeing if we can make. Um, and we're like maybe three months in, like we're really early days and, uh, we're the production team. When I say we, the production team, the three of us were sitting at the bar and our head brewer asked like, Hey, Joe's, do you have any ideas for a beer you'd like to make? And, you know, everyone's had a blue moon. Um, so at some point in their lives, Belgian wits are the most popular, uh, ale style you know, in the United States, thanks to the blue moon. Um, and you know, I, I find them to be an enjoyable alternative to the, uh, people getting into craft beer. They're like, Oh, I've heard of Hefeweizens. Can I get one of those Hefeweizens? Like no one wants to drink banana grossness. Anyway, um, (laughs) at least the wit has like fun citrus flavors and peppery notes. So, um, I threw that out as like, Hey, we, what if we made a wit and our head brewer said, fine, but you're going to write the recipe. And like I had homebrewed, I knew about writing recipes, but I didn't know anything about like putting on a commercial scale. So, you know, I threw out some ideas and he talked me through how to make this commercially viable. Um, which the insider baseball side is like finding other beers that you can make with that yeast so that when you spend, thousand dollars on a yeast brain like you can go and use that in other beers uh, mm-hmm. to kind of cut down the cost of the yeast itself um and so yeah i i, I made the recipe for the wit i suggested other beers we could do afterward um and we weren't naming beers at the time like our menu was just west coast ipa hellas um and so this was just Whit beer up there, um, but it came out really good. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so, when it came time to submit beers to the county fair, uh, or the sorry, the state fair, well, the California state fair, um, the the entry forms like required a name, and we stuck to those names: West Coast IPA, Pilsner. But on the entry form for the Whit beer. Uh, our head brewer Kushal wrote Josie's wit, um, which was like this, like oh, it's a nice thing. That's so nice of you to do that for me. Thinking nothing of it, mm-hmm. uh, and then I got a text a month later 
that just said, congratulations. And I was like, oh, yay, congratulations. <laughs> Those are always good. I, I accept <laughs> this, congratulations. <laughs> and he goes, no, your beer got the gold medal at the California State Fair. And I was like, no, that, that, what are you talking about? That's insane. <laughs> um, but yeah, Josie's wit ended up winning the gold medal at the California State Fair. Um, and, uh, which, yeah, like was unbelievable. That's um, awesome. And so that became the name of the beer now. Like that's <laughs> like we, it's on the menu as Josie's wit. Like there was sort of, just an understanding of like, Oh, that's, that's what it is. That's how we're going to market it now. Um, and we've been making it for a year and a half now. Uh, it mm-hmm. won silver this year. So I'm slacking in my, <laughs> um, but yeah, to date we've won three medals for beer competitions and I've won two of them for Josie's wit. So, uh, right, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's confirmation that uh, my instincts are good and that I'm in the right place. Uh, but at yeah. the same time, you know, I also recognize that I have so much more to learn, and it is just uh, an encouragement to keep uh, growing. There you go. <sighs> yeah. So. Last thing, I normally when we're talking soccer, I ask, how do you how would you game plan against your own team? And mm-hmm. since we're not talking soccer, I'm going to change that question a little bit. I have a couple of friends who are are very good home brewers. Okay. And uh, I have so far been unsuccessful in convincing them to even consider going pro. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious whether you would recommend home brewers try to stake out and and start a commercial operation. And if so, how would you convince them to do that? Okay. Here's the thing. Homebrewers, sweetie, it's <laughs> so pretty. Like, you're doing so well, and I really love that you found a hobby that you enjoy. You don't know anything about beer yet, which is fine, um, but prepare for a rude awakening. Um, because being a commercial brewer, it's not even on a technique thing. It's just prepare to make styles of beer that you don't care about because, uh, you have to pay back, uh, millions of dollars in loans that you had to borrow, um, prepare to spend five to seven years trying to find a space and having spaces turned into, uh, aerospace mixed use over uh, a brewery site um prepare to deal with the ebb and flow of a market that you can't game plan for because it's only like three years old and no one really knows what is selling in craft beer yet uh it's really hard work um my job consists way more of lugging around fire hoses and 50 pound bags of grain than it does sitting down and writing recipes. Like anytime I'm at a bar and a home brewer finds out that I brew professionally, they want to show me some recipe that they wrote on their phone. And I'm like, I not only do I not care, um, 
there's nothing about the fact that you can identify that like I don't know, citra hops are fun to use. Like everyone knows that. No one is mind blown by the fact that you went to a homebrew store and bought citra. Like it's delicious. Um, This strikes me as slightly similar to like telling a soccer player that you also played soccer. Um, (laughs) It's quite literally that moment when you're playing pickup and someone's like, oh yeah, no, I, I was like division three. I could have gone pro. And you're like, bull fucking shit. Like (laughs) near the MLS draft, you were a very good big fish in a small pond. Nobody. Josie, I'm curious. Did when you were, blogging and, and writing, did you ever get emails or Facebook messages or, or DMs from from guys trying to say, can you hook me up with a tryout? <laughs> because that is a phenomenon that I have experienced. I know Jason and Ben have as well. Yeah. I I had a guy we cannot, for the record, at this podcast. No, no we can't we cannot you. hook you up with a tryout. Also if you're asking for us, if you're asking us to help you, you're you're not going you're to end up playing professional soccer. Um, yeah, I had a guy at a coffee place or no, at a gelato place tell me that he was going to have a tryout with DC United, uh, next year. This was in like 2017 and guess what? He never did. It never happened. Uh, he was a liar or, uh, or a dreamer, one of the two, but he was certain that it was going to happen. I was like, I don't believe you, man. Um, and it was, it turned out I was right. Uh, He did not, he's not playing for the team now. I can tell you. I mean, the other one that you get all the time, I mean, that's a little closer to home is when you're like, oh, yeah, no, I, 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 I write about soccer. Like I do this somewhat professionally and someone's like, oh, hey, how do how do I become a professional writer? And you're just like, uh, do you like not having money? Um, <laughs> how much do you hate money? Do you currently have a ton of money? Yeah. Um, that might help if you just already have a bunch of money. If you're rich, then you know, yeah, you're, you're off and running. Or they're like, "Oh, do you need a photographer for your blog?" And I'm like, do "Oh, that one." Camera? And I'm like, "They're like, no, I have like a, a Nikon point and click." Right. I'm like, what do? You, why are we even talking? I took. I have a three. I have a three, <laughs> a three year old iPhone. Right. Like, <laughs> I took some good photos with my camera on my phone. Oh my god! I, I actually had someone tell me they had a professional camera. I believed them. They came to a practice with a point-and-click camera, and mm-hmm. I had to grovel to PR. Like I'm so sorry. I had no idea, but I do need photos because you're not taking any, and I need <laughs> no person stand over there and take some shitty photographs. I'm so sorry, and none of them were usable because they were terrible. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, people don't understand, like, when you have a fun job, like, making beer is, like, covering soccer was, when you have a fun job, people don't understand there's still so much day-to-day work involved, like, everyone would love to stand on the sideline and take pictures with a shitty camera, but one, it's not going to be useful, and two, that's not what being a photographer is, Um, but people don't care, they just see you having fun and want to have some fun themselves, so, whatever. Well, I mean, unfortunately, I, the fun for us tonight is is over. We got to call it a night. Josie, thank you so much for for coming on the show. Uh, remind us where to find you, both online and at the brewery, for any listeners who may be in Southern California. 
Yeah. Um, unfortunately, I had to change my cool soccer handle to a beer uh, handle. So now it is Hoppy Josie, um, H-O-P-P-Y Josie um, on Instagram and Twitter. Um, and Common Space Brewery, if you happen to be in Los Angeles, we're in Hawthorne, California. We're in restaurants and bars and liquor stores across the L.A. area. Um, and yeah, check us out. Uh, commonspace.la is the website. Um, and we're making some pretty awesome beers. Find us at blackandredunited.com. Follow us on Twitter at blackandredu for the website at filibusterdcu for the podcast. If you want to support us financially, do that at uh, patreon.com slash filibuster. Send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. Subscribe, download, rate, review. I don't know if there's a raise a glass function on any podcast apps, but there should be. Um, it's 2019. It's almost 2020, guys. Get the raise a glass function. It's so close. <laughs> Thank you, Josie. See, that's the, that's the kind of affirmation that I need in my life. Uh, mostly, though, tell a friend about the show. That's the best way to get the word out. For Jason and Ben, thanking Josie one more time. I'm Adam, and we will talk to you again real soon. Say goodbye, Jason. Happy New Year, nerds.